Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our belief system when he created the heavens and the earth he also created the dimension of time and I always talk about the time being a dimension because I believe many of us that have theological questions about destiny and free will and these things if we understood what that meant that time is a dimension like space is a dimension color is a dimension these things it would make uh, the understanding of these theological uh, concepts easier. But in any case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the heavens and the earth, and then He created time to go with that. And in that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordained that there be 12 months. There are 12 months, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah At Tawbah, that when He created the heavens and the earth, there will be 12 months. In the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of those 12 months, four of them are sacred. The four sacred months that we have being Rajab, the, the month that we are in, which obviously is the, the subject of the khutbah, Dhul Qa'dah, Dhul Hijjah, and Muharram, the 11th, 12th, and 1st month of the year, the three next to each other. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended in creation from the beginning of time in our belief system that there be only 12 months, not 13, not 11 and that four of those months be sacred. And we know from our history that the pre-Islamic Arabs, the Arabs of Mecca and, and other places, the Quraysh, they used to play with the calendar. Because they inherited this concept that there are these sacred months. We'll talk about that, what that means that they're sacred. They inherited this concept, but it got in the way of their life. They didn't want to stop fighting with each other. They, they didn't want this idea that there be this sacred uh, space and time. Because they would insult one another, these tribes would insult one another, and then they would go to war with each other for decades over an insult that happened generations before. Right? This is why we call them the Jahili Arabs, because they had this, this uh, idea that they would inherit these, these uh, uh, tensions between tribes and fail to realize that they're all the same. They're all Arabs of the same area. So they played with these months. They would add a month here, they would subtract a month here. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He refers to this in the Quran as a nasi' A nasi' ziyadatun fil kufr. Allah Ta'ala says it's an increase in disbelief to play with something that is meant to be sacred, which is time and the counting of time. So when the Prophet ﷺ came and he was given this revelation, there was a problem because the, we believe, right, that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan on Laylatul Qadr, the night of power, the initial revelation to the Prophet ﷺ. But if the Arabs played with the calendar, then what, what month was that for the Arabs? Like what was like if there was a daily gazette of Mecca? What was written on the, on the masthead? What was the date? Was it Ramadan or was it another month? Sometimes we don't think about these details. But it was off. And I actually don't know the answer to that question. But it, it was off until the final year of the Prophet's life sallallahu alayhi wasallam, or right before his, his, the end of his life sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he performed hajj and as he addressed the Muslims in Arafah on hajj 
He says, now the calendar has been placed in order. Meaning that that time for Hajj, that Dhul Hijjah, was the, the real Dhul Hijjah. That it had realigned itself. And he left us as part of his parting wisdom, sallallahu alayhi wa and reminded us of this concept, that there is this thing called time, that we don't necessarily own this time, and we respect a certain calendar that goes with this time, a religious calendar, a liturgical calendar, that follows exclusively the sighting of the birth of the new moon. And when you get into the subject of calendars, it's very fascinating. Because the lunar calendar, our calendar, it's an absolute lunar calendar. Meaning that we sight the moon, we're supposed to sight the moon every month, the birth of the new moon, this is when the new month begins. And if we can't see it, we continue 30 days. So each month is 29 or 30 days. And you would think after 1,040 years, 400 years, we would get better at this. But we still have some time because we're still disputing how we're going to do this. We'll park that to the side. But we, we see the new moon. Believe it or not, people go every month and they sight the new moon. It's an absolute lunar month. And we use this calendar for our Islamic, quote-unquote, Islamic life. When Ramadan starts and when it ends, when Hajj starts and when it ends, when we perform Umrah, how we pay Zakah, the year that passes on the money for Zakah is the lunar year, not the, not the solar year. But the lunar calendar does not help us when it comes to, if you're a farmer, for example. You can't farm in Rajab and you know, pick up the seeds or the harvest in, in Rabi' al awl It doesn't work like that. So the Arabs... Even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, they used the solar month, they used the seasons. Because that's how the dunya worked. And then this calendar, our Islamic calendar, reminds us of our liturgical, our religious, spiritual obligations to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a great wisdom in this. You can't plan around Ramadan, for example. Ramadan is not a winter thing or a spring thing or a summer thing. It's Ramadan, it's the ninth Islamic month. And it's going to slide backwards compared to the solar calendar. And this reminds us and teaches us a very important lesson. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is the owner of this time. And when He comes knocking or when the opportunity comes knocking or an obligation is there before us, we submit and we follow it. And that is why it is called Islam. It is about submission to that which is greater than ourselves. Religion is not something that I own or you own. We make it the way we want it. But Allah teaches us, the Prophet ﷺ conveys to us, and we believe in these sources in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and we comply to the best of our ability. And think about our prayer. You don't just pray, I mean the salah, not the dua, salah. You don't just pray when you're happy, or pray when you're sad, or pray when you're in need. When the, you know, the app goes off, now we pray. Right? That's when you pray, when it's time to pray, meaning you stop what you're doing and you refocus yourself on that prayer. Maybe it's inconvenient that Ramadan is at the end of May. Why can't it be like in December? Why don't we just make it? It doesn't work like that. It comes and we stop. Maybe the day is long, maybe the day gets shorter, but we comply. And in that is a spiritual discipline, that we discipline ourselves, that we accustomate ourselves, that at certain times we submit. And then our nafs becomes a little bit softer, a little bit easier to deal with. And that is one of the wisdoms behind these sacred months. This is a month of great mercy, of great blessings. It has, it's a month of many names. It's a month of mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rajab is a month in which we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a month in which we begin the march towards Ramadan. 
we start to remember that in two months or, or, or less, we will be fasting, inshallah. We will be participating in this great month-long uh, celebration almost. Not just the Eid is a celebration, but every night in, month, in Ramadan is a celebration. The Prophet ﷺ said the fasting person has two joys. One when they break their fast, you know, because you break your fast, and one when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the greater reward of what will happen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us through the Prophet ﷺ that all of our actions are for ourselves, our own benefit except fasting. It belongs to Allah and only Allah can reward for it. And as we get closer to Ramadan, we'll remind ourselves of these things. But the seed that we plant, as the Salaf taught us, for Ramadan is now, in this month of Rajab. And it's compounded because it's a sacred month. It's a month in which fighting is not allowed. I mean, warfare is not allowed. Right? Think about all the Muslims in the name of Islam killing Muslims in this month. Claiming that they are the Muslims and we are not. Violating the most sacred, the most sacred of things. A time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, this is time out. This is the safe month. Think about all of that that's happening now in the name of our faith that we practice, distorting the teachings of the Prophet So this is a month that we pause and we, we redouble our efforts towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we remember our commitment and we remember these lessons that we, we don't own this time. This time belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when the opportunity comes, we, we try to walk through that window of opportunity. The Prophet said, in your days, in your nights are nafahat, windows of opportunity. Be prepared for those windows. Because you don't know when they're going to come. You don't know if you'll have another Rajab, another Ramadan, another this or another that. And this is an opportunity and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fills our, our weeks and our months and our years with all of these opportunities on Jummah and the last third of the night. All of these, if you thought about all the time that we have, that Allah gives us the opportunity to draw nearer to Him, to redouble our efforts, more forgiveness, more mercy, more love, more wisdom, we will see that, that it's in our favor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it easy for us. And this is a special month because of the four sacred months, it's all by itself. Why some people call it Rajab al-Fard, it's by itself. Or Rajab al-Asab or Asam. It is a, a, a month of mercy when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy descends compounded upon us. So we want to open ourselves to receive that. That's the idea behind this month. And in this month... I know because we have, mashallah, a diverse community. Many people come from different backgrounds and every month we have the same conversation, you know, Salatul Raghaib and praying this and fasting this. And so I wanted to also address that. There are many traditions that have come describing the importance of fasting in the month of Rajab. And one of our great ulama, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, uh, who was considered, he was called Amir al-Mu'mineen fil-Hadith. He was the the commander of the believers in the studies of hadith. This was his title. You know, a very grand title. He commented on Sahih al-Bukhari. And of course he was Egyptian. You have to plug that in for you. <clears throat> but he wrote a little book and he compiled all of the hadith related to fasting in the month of Rajab. And you know, he concluded that nothing really is sound. They're not really sound hadith. So I wanted to address that for the community. Because this is an important reminder about what, how we use the hadith. The hadith is like a tool for us, a guidance for us. And sometimes when people hear this da'if, a hadith is weak, 
They think that weak means it's bad. They think it means that it's bad. And therefore we have to stay away from it. But that's not what the weak hadith means. That's a technical term. Meaning that there's some thing in the chain of transmission or in the text of the hadith that is not as strong as the hadith that we find in the Sahih collection like Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim or Tirmidhi or something like that. But the ulama, all of the ulama, every single one of them throughout the history of Islam, imagine that, 1,400 years of Islamic scholarship, all of them, except the knuckleheads of today, all of them agree, agree, all of them. Can you imagine generations of people agreeing on the same thing? You can't even agree in your own family on what to eat for dinner. Imagine everyone agreeing over thousands of years, a thousand years of history, that we need the hadith that's weak, that we use the hadith that is weak when it comes to righteous actions. Because is there anything wrong with fasting in the month of Rajab, with the goal of preparing yourself for the month of Ramadan? Of course not. Fasting in itself is an ibadah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, that the Prophet has taught us. So just because there are weak hadith that talk about fasting in the month of Rajab, it doesn't mean that you can't fast in the month of Rajab, or it's somehow it's bid'ah or something like that. It just means that there are some weaknesses in those hadith. But all of those hadith together, you know, 50 hadith that are weak, saying the same thing, actually strengthens that meaning that those hadith say, according to the science of hadith. So I don't want people to be tripped up because in the beginning of Rajab, there's this common practice of Salat al-Raghaib. You know, on the first week of the Rajab, you, you pray X number of rakahs at night. And the hadith that talk about this prayer are not true. They're not sahih hadith. So don't attribute that action to the Prophet ﷺ. But our ulama taught us if you want to pray extra, you know, just extra ibadah, with the intention that it's extra ibadah, then that's fine. And therein lies the difference between us and the people that say otherwise. Therein lies the difference between Islam that is based on principles, that is based on scholarship, that is based on generation after generation of understanding the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and those people who are self-taught hiding in caves, destroying the world. Is that we understand how to place different things, how we understand the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ appropriately. So it turns into guidance, hidayah for us, and everyone around us, and not turn into an excuse to create havoc and mischief and, and injustice in the world. So all of these practices that we have, if you do them or if you've done them in the beginning of the month, that's fine, you know, no, no big sin, but attribute that to extra worship. I'm not going to attribute that to the Prophet ﷺ. That's the weak hadith, and I'm sure people will be upset with what I said. We can, we can, we can talk after prayer. More important than all of this, in this month, in the month of Rajab, is the month in which we commemorate the greatest miracle and gift giving to the Prophet ﷺ, the Isra and Ma'raj, in which we traditionally commemorate on the eve of the 27th of Rajab. And the ulama, you know, some of them debated when it happened and things like that. And later in the month we'll talk in greater detail about Isra and Ma'raj. But I wanted to highlight the importance of that, especially because it's sort of either the end of spring break or for a lot of people, there's a lot of younger people. I wanted to remind all of us about why that event is so important, other than it's a miraculous event, and we'll talk about that later. But I wanted to talk about the prayer itself, our prayer itself. The Prophet ﷺ, he taught us, لا خير في دين لا صلاة في. 
There is no good in a religion if there is no prayer. And notice how he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Salah, in this hadith, prayer, like what we call in fancy English the canonical prayer, you know, Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. He didn't say dua, supplication or asking. Because in English, when we say let's pray, a lot of times it's like dua. I'm talking about the namaz, the prayer, the salah, you know, the motions. That the Prophet ﷺ said, if, if a religion doesn't have prayer, there's no good in it. Because if you don't have some mechanical action, some physical action that you engage in, in a periodic way, then it's just going to be a lot of fluff. It's going to be a lot of feelings and emotions. Remember I said in the beginning, you don't pray based on your emotional state. You might make dua, you know, on your emotional state. Like when you're texting and driving and you almost, you know, fall off the road and you're like, oh my God, bismillah, bismillah, astaghfirullah. I mean, that's when all that comes out because something, you know, a crisis happened. You know, or you hear some good news. You know, alhamdulillah, I hope. You know, or something like that. Or you hear some bad news. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. That's like dua. That's an emotional reaction that helps connect us with our values. The salah is different. It's mechanical. Every time when you pray, you know, you're not going to be floating in the ether. It's not going to be like that. But that's the point. The point is that you force yourself to get out of bed early in the morning, you know, throw away the covers, make your wudu, and pray those two rakahs of fajr, and you begin your day like that. And you punctuate your day, and you're thinking. You're also thinking of the next prayer. I'm going to make wudu before I leave the house. Make sure the socks are on. If I'm going to wipe on my socks, where am I going to make wudu at work? I'm going to travel. What are the rules? Sometimes people text me. We're traveling. We're coming back. How do we pray? My mom, even, God bless her. Even till this day, she asks me every trip she takes, how do I pray on the plane and not on the plane and, and these things. Every single trip. Because it gets you thinking. You're packing your, your, your bags for your trip. Allah says, but you also pack your taqwa. taqwa. Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, addressing the people going on hajj. He says, pack. Tazawadu, take your provisions. But the best of provisions is taqwa. Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the prayer helps f- remind you that there is something bigger that you're living for. There's something larger than this world. Something larger than us. And to emphasize this in the most dramatic of ways, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the prayer through this miraculous event, al-Isra wal maraj I mean, you could have easily just revealed some verses. And it was just, that's what we have to do. Like fasting. But no, he took the Prophet ﷺ in the middle of the night on this private jet called Buraq all the way to Jerusalem. And he meets with all of the Anbiya and he prays with all of the Anbiya and then he ascends the seven levels of heaven. You know what that means in our belief system? The Prophet ﷺ said this entire perceived universe. You know, if you take the most advanced Hubble image you have of what we can perceive of the universe... This is the first level of heaven, as-sama' al-ula. And the Prophet ﷺ said, all of that that you can see in comparison to the next level, halqatun fi falaa, like a ring cast in a desert. And the, the, the relationship of the second level of the heavens to the third level of the heavens, halqatun fi falaa, a ring cast in a desert. You, your mind cannot even imagine that size. And then the third level in comparison to the fourth level, halqatun fi falaa. 
And the fourth level in comparison to the fifth level, halqatun fi fala. And the fifth level in comparison to the sixth level of heaven, halqatun fi fala. And the sixth level in comparison to the seventh level, halqatun fi fala. And the seventh level of heaven, of the heavens, of the cosmological heavens, in comparison to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, halqatun fi fala. This is what he taught us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I mean, no spacesuit is going to make you be able to go through that. Even if you, uh, you know, like the, the hardcore Sufis, uh, we say, you know, I like to consider myself one of them, we can say that the Prophet says, I'm Noor. You say, Noor and Nabi. And Noor and Muhammadi. You know, we get very passionate about this. Let's say, for the sake of arguing, the Prophet is light. And say, you calculate how fast the speed of light is. How many millions of light years would it take the Prophet ﷺ to ascend all of these levels in a space that you can't even fathom? It's impossible. Except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kun fayakun. Kun fayakun. Kun fayakun. Be and it is. Be in the third level of heaven and it is. Be in the fifth level of heaven. A miracle beyond miracles. Because every miracle of the Prophet ﷺ is there is some dunya possibility and Allah breaks that habit like going from Mecca to Jerusalem I mean you could fathom like a very fast jet or something that could take you there now we can do that so even though it was a miracle it's like kind of possible but this ma'raj is impossible improbable except if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says kun fayakun I mean forget the pressure suit the Prophet had to have his heart rejigged through the angels two three times before the ma'raj you know the cutting of the Prophet's heart when he was a kid, sallallahu alaihi and then during the, the night of the revelation, and then the night of the ma'raj, at least three times, some ulama say four. What do you think is going on there? It's like some kind of internal pressure suit that's going to take him up these seven levels of heaven. And to go beyond the throne, I mean, if you can even imagine all this space uh, dimension stuff, to go beyond the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, beyond Sidrat al-Muntaha, beyond where even Gabriel can go, and to discourse directly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in that moment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the Prophet ﷺ this institution of prayer. I mean, look how dramatic this story is. Right? It's huge. Huge story. Huge, I mean, cinematic effect beyond cinematic effect. All to teach us the importance of this institution. That this institution is our ma'raj. This is how we ascend to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every time we stand and pray. And I know that it doesn't always feel like that. Because you don't pray based on your emotional state. You, base, you pray when the time comes in. And you leave what you're doing. And you budget your time. And you stand. You face Mecca. You have your wudu. You say Allahu Akbar. And you say your prayers. You are reenacting, as it were, that miraculous event of the most holy of holies, the best of creation, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imagine that every time we pray. And that in this month, we remember the importance of this institution. That we, we need to pray. It really takes no little effort. Really little, just a little bit of discipline. But over time, the current of the prayer helps move your own emotional current. And for people that are the engineers and know about waves and, and things like that, you kind of, maybe you can help illustrate this for us better. But the, the wavelength of the prayer... You're tuning in to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help tune your own emotional state, but you have to give it time.
So it might, it's not a quick fix. Okay, it's not Harry Potter. It's not going to be like there's a spell and it's a quick fix. It's not like that. But if you pray consistently, you will see your own emotional state move forward. Ascend towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that will be your own ma'raj. Your own ascent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where you raise the state of yourself to a higher level. Allah tells us in the Quran, blessed is the person that purifies themselves and cursed is the person that does not purify themselves. This is the ultimate form of purification. All of this in this month. In the month of Rajab, we have less than a half of the month to go. Inshallah, let us remember our prayers. Remember to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sincerity. Just be sincere in your own quiet moments with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness and for compassion and for mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in this month, bless us in the month of Sha'ban and arrive safely in the month of Ramadan.